My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies, and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share, and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening, and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Chris Chidley. He's the Managing Director at Compass Group Island and in my eyes he's an absolute star. We had the pleasure of working together five years ago and his passion and drive shone through. In my view he's an absolute force of nature so I cannot wait to see what he's got in store for us today. Chris you're over in Ireland, how the devil are you? Very good. Thanks, Angela. Th- thanks for such a nice introduction as well. I would say exactly the same about you. <laughs> we did have a good time, didn't we, working on that bid for Compass Group? And I can't believe it's been five years already. I can't believe it either. So it's an absolute pleasure to see you, although we are over technology because we're all still on lockdown as we're recording this. But as you know, because I know that you've been listening, we always start the podcast by getting you into the success mindset. And so I would love it if you could share your shake your pom poms moments and um, just give us your three proudest things to date. I'd love to. I'd I'd say the, the first one is my family, actually, my wife, particularly because Catherine, my wife, grew up in a village all her life. So community was important to her. So when we had our children, they actually moved within the village uh, as a family and we lived there for about four years before taking the leap to Ireland and (laughs) to go from such a community feeling in a village environment to taking two young children Finn and Ella so Finn and Ella are now Finn's coming up to six and Ella's just turned four taking those guys and Kath out of our village community over to Ireland where we knew absolutely no one we didn't know the country very well and we're now living in the countryside with some nice views of the Wicklow Mountains and the seaside. But beyond that, to 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 work within that environment and to work as a family has been phenomenal. So amazingly proud of how we've adapted. I think it's been amazing. We're absolutely loving life here in Ireland at the moment. I think the second one would be work-related. And it's probably a story around when I was 31. I'm now 38, so a few years ago. <laughs> But I've kind of worked my whole career working hard, you know, believing in, in yourself, which, you know, we'll come on to talk about, I'm sure. But the one thing I really lacked was bite-sized chunks, goals, and the plan to get me to where I want, wanted to get to. I think probably stumbled across my 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 roles um, up until that point. I started with a five-year plan at the age of 31. I had my bite-sized chunks, goals each year to get to. And at the age of 36, just before that, actually, I made it to the role as managing director, which was my aim. So I think whether whether it be a managing director or any other role, I was amazingly proud of of the of executing a five-year plan and, and working hard through it. So the second one, actually, is related to my career. I would say my father 
I lived with my father when I was 13. My, my parents separated at the age of 13 and I, and I chose to live with my father. And for many years, at least 10 years, we, every April, we used to watch the US Masters together, which is a golf competition, probably one of the most well-known golf competitions in the circuit. And at the age of 35, I was able to take my father to the US Masters. Oh. And it was something that it's, it's, it's quite an emotional story for me because A, I never ever expected in my wildest dreams to give something back to my father after his many years of kind of aiding my development and spurring me on. My father never ever expected to go. It was one of them <laughs> dreams that you just watch every year. You watch with him and you talk about it and you, you dream of going. Uh, and then we got to go. And it was just an incredible, incredible trip. Uh, I've seen my father cry only a couple of times in my life. And that was one of those moments when I told him that we were going. So it really kind of culminated um, all the efforts of the last kind of 20 years of my career to give something back to him. So those would be my three moments, uh, my family, uh, my five-year plan and my father. And and in all of that, I'm getting this kind of feel for the fearlessness that I've seen in you over the time that we've worked together and, and that courage, I suppose, to really push yourself outside of your comfort zone. You're one of the few people that I know that is able to do that naturally and, and you literally do it as if you are a, a swan swimming. So people aren't able to see the effort that I'm sure it takes you to be that fearless. And I think that's one of the things that's really special about you. And, and obviously, you've just talked about family. Something happened recently where you put a post out that your little boy was watching you playing golf on the lawn during lockdown. <laughs> and he said to you, asked him, didn't you, how many of these balls am I going to get in? And he said to you, you can get all of them in, daddy, if you work hard and believe in yourself. Mm. And what I took from that, that, this little five-year-old boy, Finn, your son, what I took from that is here is a man, here is Chris Chidley, who is working hard, putting in his five-year plan, making his dreams come true. But equally, he's putting in a load of effort at home as well. And I think for me, it's that balance that's really special. Yeah, it's been, it, you know, I, I would, anyone listening, I, I would say, have I ever got the work-life balance correct? Absolutely not. Do you have to work hard at it? Yes. Do you have to make that commitment to yourself? Yes. And I think my work-life balance really came to the forefront when we moved over to Ireland. And I think you have to, when you throw yourself into that position, you're forced to make decisions to make sure that your primary goal is your family. And, you know, like I said, it was a big, big change for us as a family to come over to Ireland. And my number one focus was making sure the children were settled and clearly Catherine was settled into a routine in terms of social, you know, social, socializing with people, meeting new people, finding a rhythm routine for going to gym you know doing stuff that's that's going to be good for her and yeah i i'm ne i've never i've never got it fully right i think i'm probably in the last 16 months better than i ever have been but it does i mean look those moments on on the video that i posted on linkedin are you know crikey i could have i could have cried when i heard i heard those words you know it's uh you know it's those small moments when you you realize actually it, it is paying off you know and it, and it and it does come into good effect so yeah uh, you know my my drive and, and and determination and and i'd like to say the same will be the same for finn and ella is you know there was one defining moment for me when i was around 14 years of age my, my father was away with work um he was he had to leave leave the the house early in the morning and actually that day i was going to a, a three-day trip to the peak district 
music to school. You remember those days when you'd go? Yeah. Now, n- nowadays, you, you get to go skiing and go to, <laughs> go to sunny climates. But in those days, you you, you went up north to the Three Peaks, or or and and, and or you you did things that was like camping. And that morning, um, and and something important before I say this, actually, my father is is quite um disciplinarian, and um he is is he doesn't have, he doesn't show too much emotion. He'd never written me a letter. And that morning, I woke up and I I went into the porch and he'd written me a letter. And you know, he said quite a few things, but the, the, the one of the things that still stand out today was that he said, "Son, you're going to go and do things that you've you've never done before, and I want you to try absolutely everything. Now you're going to feel nervous, you're probably going to feel scared, but I want you to do it, and I want you to go through that emotion. I want I don't want you to come back with any regrets, and I don't want you to listen to anyone that says you can't do it. And equally, if anyone doesn't do it, I still want you to do it. Come back and tell me you've done everything. And you know, I remember that three-day trip, and I mean, crikey, you, you know, you're jumping off. I guess as an adult, you see it as a small cliff. At that age, you see it as a huge cliff, and you know, you're going white water rafting and such like. And I can tell you, every single moment, I was thinking, I don't want to do this. There's a re- there's a good reason why I can pull out here. And there was other children that didn't want to do it. But I came back, and the first thing my my father said was, "Did you do everything?" And and I did. And I think that that hard wiring began at that age, where every step since, every time there's been a, a good reason to say, "I don't need to do this," or um, perhaps I'll give it a miss, or you know, actually, I don't quite fancy it kind of that rings in my ears and says look gotta you gotta throw yourself into it and i think that's probably um something i'd like my children to to have a bit of as well that that kind of mentality and and you obviously have been successful because as you say at the age of 38 you're already managing director you know and you work for compass group which is a huge global organization want to talk a little bit more about your career shortly but when you were growing up what was it that you really wanted to be? Great question. Uh, I would say I didn't have ultimate clarity on what I wanted to be. What I knew I wanted to do was to to uh, make my father proud. And no. the, the reason for that was, you know, when my, my parents separated, he chose not to take management roles for fear of distress and the fact he couldn't be around as much to bring me up. So I knew kind of th- from an age, probably about 14 or 15, as I was kind of a going into work experience and then coming out and thinking about my career, I wanted to to do something to to pay pay him back. There was one one moment actually where I, I thought I wanted to be a designer for car bumpers, believe it or not. <laughs> And, and uh, it was, I think I was around, I, I can't remember the exact age, but I suspect it'd, it'd be around 14 or 15. My father had a friend over from Sweden. His name was George. They're still very good friends to this day. And he 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 uh, worked for Volvo and he designed car bumpers. And there was a moment where we were passing each other on the stairs at home. And he just said, Chris, hold out your hand. And he handed me a huge bundle of coins, English coins. And he said, you can have these. I don't, I don't need them. I, I just need notes. And, you know, I had a humble upbringing, you know, we weren't wealthy at all. And there was this man that has just given me the best part of 20 pounds in coins. <laughs> and I can just remember saying to my dad, I want to be, I want to do what George does, dad, because he's obviously got all this money and that's, that's great. You know, I want to do that. So for a good couple of years, I thought I wanted to, yeah, to, to, to work for Volvo designing car bumpers. But, uh, <laughs> uh, that scene, that scene, uh, that scene went out of my mind when I, when I joined McDonald's at the age of 16 and a half. So McDonald's was kind of the first proper job, was it, that you earned an income from? Yeah. So I, I was uh, I, I finished school at 16 and started A-levels and took a, a part-time role at McDonald's and, and did that concurrently to, to, to working on, on my A-levels. And it got to a stage, a bit of a crossroads, where I really needed to make a decision as to whether I, I, I pursued university or continued 
with with McDonald's. And at the time, you know, McDonald's had given me a great grounding. It really helped me find myself as an individual in that environment. It's as much as it is a party and a, and a social event as it is a job. I was able to gain some great skills. Uh, they'd, they'd moved me up on the management ladder. I think I was a shift manager or, you know, looking after up to 30, 35 people at the age of 18. And, you know, I thought um, I would pursue McDonald's as, as a university in its own right um, rather than pursue the, the, the um, conventional way of, of university. Yeah. yeah. And, and let's talk about your career then kind of post that. How has it flourished? Well, I, I, I left McDonald's after nine, nine years and I left McDonald's after nine years after applying, believe it or not, for The Apprentice. And there's a there's a there's a really long story to that, but uh, needless to say, I, I was I was fired before making the cameras. Uh, but what it did do, you know, and this comes back to this kind of adversity and how you deal with it and 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 exposing your vulnerabilities. I sat, if you can imagine, imagine a, a huge ballroom, as it were, it was at the Jewelry's Inn in Birmingham. Um, it was a huge, huge room, and it, and and the process of applying for the apprentice culminated in me sitting in the middle of this ballroom, and about twenty foot, twenty to thirty foot in front of me were some board, uh, producers, executive producers of the TV program, some very successful entrepreneurs. There's about six of them in total, and and they effectively pulled me to shreds, ripped me to shreds, and wow. and effectively said, "You all you are is in- institutionalized. All you do is wash burger, uh, wash lettuce, cook burgers. You follow a blueprint. You're not really a businessman. All you've done is McDonald's, and that really hurt. That really hurt. You know, you you spend nine years of your of your career. All you know is McDonald's, and and you think you're you're reasonably successful. You've got a good grounding in your work life, and then you've got these really successful people that ultimately I looked up to. You know, I respect." And, and they said that and I had a lot of reflection to do after that um, process I think if I was a bit wiser now I may have taken a different view but at the age of 25 only knowing McDonald's I, I took the view that they were right and therefore I left McDonald's after nine and a half years and joined Compass Group and I, I could tell you know three months after joining Compass Group and and I must say this is no reflection of the Compass Group they're a phenomenal company to work for but I went from being very institutionalized the the experts were that were right on that much and I spent three months going up and down on a train between Northampton and where my new job was in Compass Group regretting the decision to leave McDonald's Mm. and rehearsing my speech back to my old McDonald's boss (laughs) to take me back and it was (laughs) it was in the months of it was in the winter months where you know the 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 train went you know, you look outside when you go home, you go to, you go to London, it's dark outside. So all yeah. you can see is a reflection of yourself and the others when you look out the window and the same coming back. And you have to carve out in that situation, I, I was never going to allow myself to fail. You know, the, the messages and the, the, the way in which my father brought me up said to me, you're going to fight this, you're going to come out of it. And I think from that point on, I started to carve out my career and I went through probably every 18 months to two years. I was able to fulfill my role and show the people around me that I could make it work. I could um, bring new value to the proposition or the role. Uh, and I went from from being a general manager of a hot food to go kind of cafe style feel on Oxford Street and Marks and Spencers, which was part of the contract at Compass Group at the time. And, and then worked my way from op- operations. So I went into uh, regional management. Um, I then worked in sales for a, a good number of years with Compass Group and then had this I think sales was that, that you know, when I was 31, I, I was in sales and that's where that five-year plan become something a bit more real. I, I took a real love for having a vision and working with amazing people who were the real experts and turning it into something just phenomenal. And, and with sales, you kind of get that opportunity to do that with a whole host of number of clients. And Angela, that's where you and I 
had the best visions and, and brought the best solutions together for, for, for those prospective clients. And it just made me think, you know what, I want to be a managing director. I, I, I want the opportunity to lead an amazing team. I, I'd love the opportunity to develop visions, lead the market and challenge the status quo and everything mm. that we do. And I, I have to say it's a, it's a dream job. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a great doer. And I don't have all the answers, but I have amazing people around me that support me with that piece. And, and together we, we, we have some great results. So, yeah, that's probably a, a whistle stop tour of my <laughs> my career with a few weird stories in there as well. To boot. Oh, we love a story. You've always been a great storyteller, Chris. And it's one of the things I love about you. And I guess, you know, the success that you've had at a relatively young age, you you know, you've talked about the five-year plan that has helped to drive that. You've talked about your dad, you know, giving you that great advice in the letter. Who else has shaped your your success if you look at mentors and people that have helped you along the way? Yeah, I, I, I have to mention my wife, Catherine. I have to. Um, it's a, it was an, a, a monumental piece of the, of of where I am today. Uh, Catherine and I have been together for about eight years. Um, so we, we kind of met her up when I was around 30. And, you know, I have, I have up to the age of 30, I probably wore a mask. You know, uh, I've heard you talk about it in previous podcasts. And when you, when you are in management at such a young age, I was in, I was leading a, a, a restaurant, a McDonald's restaurant from the age of 21 with a, probably over a hundred people on our payroll and age ranges were anything from 16 up to 60. And I, I was, I always felt I needed to act older than actually what I was mm. to, to earn the respect of people that were looking at you to lead a business. And yeah. for nine years, you know, for nine years, I carried that mask and that burden. And I was one person when I went home and I, and I felt I needed to be an, an entirely different person, very cold, very business-like, very, very shrewd, very ruthless. And then I met my wife, Catherine. And the reason we got together actually, because she knew, she, she knew me for a couple of years and there was a, an evening uh, event and we, we just happened to be sitting next to each other. And I, I, I kind of, I guess I showed her a snippet of the real me yeah. uh, I, I guess and it then developed from there you know uh, and Kath has been amazing to, to, to my, my career because you know she said very early on look you're an amazing person um, outside of work you probably need to just be yourself you know you're, you've got many people around you that love you in your own personal life people are going to want to see that at work you don't need to be someone different and because she was able to see two different sides she was able to support me through that journey and I certainly wouldn't be where I am now um, I certainly wouldn't be as happy as I am now and I think you know being mentally happy is good not only for yourself as you well know but equally the team around you get to feel a lot more relaxed they get to see you as a lot more approachable they get to see all the vulnerabilities that you do have and you know if they see that and they see that you're comfortable with exposing those vulnerabilities they you know guess what they're going to show you theirs and I think that's how you foster a great working environment so yeah I'd have to say Kath is is another one I've had a series of mentors through through my through my career and I've had an amazing people that I've worked for but I think the the, the two real ones that have kind of dialed into my real personal um, aspects of my development has been has been my wife and my father for sure thank goodness for Kathy that's all I can say what a woman <laughs> she is she is um, a very very incredible woman <laughs> I have to say and a, and a great mom as well now let's talk about adversity you've mentioned it one of the things that is kind of I'm feeling at the moment is what you said about growing up for some of your childhood without your mum in the, in the household and I can imagine that that was really tough so when you think about adversity and you think about the lessons that you've learned along the way what really comes through for you uh well I think I think the first thing to say is you know adversity is relative to anyone isn't it uh, you know I think 
you know, there might be small matters or big matters. It's, it's absolutely down to the individual. I've certainly, I've absolutely, for every up that I have experienced, I've had an equal down. And I tend to enjoy adversity. I know that sounds that sounds crazy, but whenever something bad happens, first first and foremost, I find I find a positive. I, that's the first thing I default to is there has got to be a positive draw on that. That will give you some hope. That will help you balance yeah. the scales. Once you've balanced the scales, you can then start seeing things objectively and saying, okay, well, it doesn't take away from the fact that something bad has happened. Now, how do you build upon that? How do you make it good? Or how do you take the learnings from it? And, you know, I think from an early age, like you said, you know, my mother was around um, and I saw, her, I, saw her, I saw her regularly enough. But when you're living with someone like my father that was quite uh it was a bit of a disciplinarian and he, and he was he didn't show much emotion he was very much of the opinion you know you, you need to grow up quickly uh and and as a result of that you're left to to your own devices as such to to work through any element of adversity so i conditioned myself from a, a probably a very, very very early age having said that you know let, let, let me be frank you know i that doesn't mean that any adversity I've had since doesn't hurt me, and it doesn't it doesn't give me cause for concern, or doesn't it doesn't give me stress. It absolutely does, and it will continue to do so. I think the the important piece here is is how you deal with that adversity, and it's how you compartmentalize what is objectively the adverse effect, and what are the positives that that align to that. Because there will always be um, positives, and I know COVID nineteen is a, is an absolute disaster for everyone, and it's hurt people, and it's it's really caused a lot of misery and I don't take that um, lightly at all but there are positives to the impact um, and that is things like families have become a lot tighter communities have become far more generous mm-hmm. the focus on people particularly our NHS uh, I say our sorry I'm in Ireland but I would still continue to say our, our NHS but we are starting to see the heroes for what they actually are and and, and that's the kind of balance you need in a, in a world of adversity so you know I hope that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. It answers it brilliantly. And as always, you're you're really speaking from the heart, which I really appreciate. Now, you mentioned the word stress in in that little soundbite there. And and when you and I were working together, we were working (laughs) on a huge bid, probably one of the biggest bids that Compass Group had ever ever seen. And, And, you know, it was very much your vision and you were leading it. And there were some days where we were working you know, 17, 18 hour days to try and get this thing over the line. So the pressure was on. One of the things I noticed about you during that situation was your ability to use humor and laughter to keep the morale of the team in check. So I know that that's definitely one of your strategies, but how else do you handle stress and pressure such that you keep yourself well? Well, if I think if you work in an office environment and and probably three days a week, I um, previously did and, and in the future will continue to do so I imagine that you know when when I get anything that's that's of a stressful nature in the office I will immediately um, take myself out to the team um, because you can't show them the stress they're not the reason there is the stress and they have their own stresses so mm. if the first thing I will instantly do is, is go and converse with some of the team members and invariably you know we have a, a good working uh, ethic or an ethos in into the office so people would stop and have a chat and would, and would have a bit of banter so the first thing I'll do is take myself out of the situation and I'd go and find someone that isn't the reason for distress uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, and go and have a conversation with them and find out how they're doing and just distract yourself from it um I think in environments where it's urgent and the stress needs an instant reaction, the, there's, you know, my instant go-to is how do we fix it? What's the next step? How do we get around this? Let's, you know, I, if you speak to any of my team, they'll say I'm famous for always carrying a, a whiteboard marker because I, lo- <laughs> I, you know, I, I love a, bra- I love a good brainstorm and a good mind map. So mm. invariably something stressful will happen and I'll, I'll get the, 
I'll get the, the whiteboard out and say, right, come on, let's brainstorm the solution. In terms of, you know, long, longer term, you know, if you take stress home, I'm a massive fan. I've heard a few of your guests talk about it as well on, you know, that period of time you're in the car. I always split in threes, you know, the 30, 30, 30, effectively, or 33 recurring. The, the, what I will always do is I'll spend a third of my time calling people back for the calls I missed during the day. The, the other the other third, I will then reflect on what did I do right, wrong? What can I do better? And then the, and the remaining third of my time on, on the way home is get myself into um, husband and dad mode. Yeah. And that way, by the time I get home, providing it's, it's not a short journey, I can... I've kind of systematically gone through in my own mind the areas. Now, you know, in my previous role, I had an hour and a half on the way home and it was perfect. I would always walk in. I would be entirely relaxed. Now it takes me about 45 minutes to get home. So learning and adapting new ways to kind of condense that into a 45 minute period has been hard, but it does, it does work. I tend not to, I tend not to plan up the day after uh, on the way home. I plan, I always spend half past eight in the morning till nine o'clock. That is, that is Chris time where I clear my inbox down. I, I file away what I need to do in a day and that leaves me organized for the rest of the day I find sometimes if you do it on the way home and you map out the next day sometimes it can it it does affect your sleep it could affect your sleep and anticipating what you've got to do the next day but I think it's horses for courses isn't it I think some people like to do it yeah that's that's typically how I would handle stress no I like that so that kind of using that commute to let go of the day assess what's gone well what hasn't gone so well what have you learned from it and then get yourself in daddy and husband mode so that you can be present with the fam I love that yep. a lot okay yep. now Chris we're at that point in the podcast we're at the five second rule game <laughs> Oh. I know this is your favourite bit. Oh, I've been dreading this bit. <laughs> I hope you've got. I hope you haven't got any new questions. I hope you... <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, made some new ones just for you. So you <laughs> right, good. are you ready? Come on, Chris. In the five-second game rule, can you give me three words to describe you? Loyal, trustworthy, and I would say integrity. But I think you could roll those all into one. But as a as a as someone to work with, I would say that as, as as a family man, I would say playful, kid-like, and um, a handful. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with all of those. I would add in passionate, driven, and giving. Um, yes, I three to describe you. So let's do another one. So in the five-second game rule, can you give me? Three things that you can do to perk up your mood. Oh, um, three things to perk up your mood. Come on, um, five seconds. If I say ring, ring a loved one. Um, look at you. Look at pictures on your phone that um, that you've you've oh. done in the Like I always do that for my family. Love it. Absolutely uh, builds. And uh, have a FaceTime with your family. Brilliant. Boom. House party. House party. Yeah, yeah. If you trust <laughs> it. Way. House party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well done. I knew you would be wonderful at that. And of course, we're now at that killer question. We've had a different answer to this question from everybody who's been on the podcast so far. So I can't wait to hear how you're going to answer this one what is chris the ultimate secret to success love yourself the way love people already love you believe in yourself in exactly the same way and make as many mistakes as you can but just make sure you learn from them because i certainly wouldn't be where i am today had i not made more mistakes than probably most i could write a book about them (laughs) um but don't don't be afraid don't be afraid at all um to to 
um, love yourself as much as other people love you. It's not it's not being vain. It's it's the right thing to do. Oh, uh, amazing. Uh, yeah. So that kind of be fearless, love yourself, believe in yourself, and be cool with making mistakes. Absolutely. I I couldn't. I'd love to go back to when I was eighteen and tell myself that. You know, uh, uh, it's mm-hmm. nice that you say I've been successful uh, uh, and the kind words, and I, I appreciate them. But I would I would have loved to have not had the, the burden and and that resting on my shoulders until the age of thirty one. You know, and anyone anyone listening, I'd, I would hope, um, particularly at that age if there's any 18 year olds listening or, or such like would would learn to love themselves the way others love them and believe in themselves I mean that's a meme if ever there was one to see kind of all over LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram love yourself as much as others love you mm, yeah. in a nutshell in a yeah. nutshell it's been great it. Angela oh do you know what it is time like flown. all times yeah it is you, know, you just fill me with joy and you and your lovely family it's so wonderful to see you all so happy over there in Ireland but I'm sure the UK can't wait to have you back <laughs> because as I said at the beginning you are a force of nature it's always an absolute pleasure to speak to you and I know that this will add value to lots of people thank you for being so honest and for not wearing the mask because you know that that vulnerability and that speaking from the heart is what this podcast is all about so thank no you no problem very at all much. i've enjoyed it time has flown by and give my love to kathy and your beautiful children likewise to martin and yours lovely to speak to you take good care see you later i do hope that you enjoyed listening to the mindset mentor meets podcast if you did be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.